0: Welcome to The Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we reevaluate bad films through a leftist perspective. I'm Nick.
1: And I'm Lewis.
0: And the two of us have excavated something not quite dead from the annals of film history.
1: Ooh! Spooky.
0: Spooky and terrifying. We've dug up the mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor.
1: Dun dun dun. <laughs> and uh we should refer to it as the mummy three from now on because i don't want to be saying mummy tomb of the dragon emperor over and over again
0: and funny enough they actually don't spend that much time in the actual tomb it's like 10 like minutes <laughs> of screen time yeah that's true unless it's metaphorical and like you know modern day china is this tomb
1: or uh the film is a tomb <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's, a, that's a that's a better metaphor um So, Lewis, tell us all about the Mummy 3.
1: Yeah. So, uh, the Mummy 3 is, uh, as you can guess, the third installment in the now rebooted Mummy franchise. (laughs) Um, I think it was even this year or uh, last year, either 20, or I should say (laughs) 2017 or 2018. Uh, there was the Tom Cruise reboot of the mummy franchise because Universal wanted to make their dark extended universe, uh, which will probably never happen because the mummy was a resounding failure.
0: Yeah. So Tom Cruise, actually, he, he completed his mission. He killed the mummy for good. And, um, I mean, I've never seen it, but if, if he's trying to make mummy stay dead, then the fucking franchise is dead forever. So mission accomplished, (laughs) I guess.
1: Mission impossible. Mission accomplished, uh, and I'm sure he used some of his cool TGI Friday's uh, cocktail flair while he did it. Oh wow,
0: yeah. Uh, Tom Cruise is like the secret hero of, our, of this podcast. <laughs> he should be, um, if he's not. Yeah. He is now.
1: Um, but yeah, so the third Mummy film uh, takes place in China. Uh, the dragon emperor is a historical figure called Chin Shi Wang, played by Jet Li. Uh, basically, this uh, Chinese mummy is reanimated. Our favorite O'Connell clan from the previous yes. two mummy films, uh, which is Brendan Fraser, uh, this time around uh, Maria Bello uh, filling in for Rachel Vise, um, uh, Luke Ford, and uh, John <laughs> oh, Hanna. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. We we'll, we will get to that. Luke Ford plays um the the son of the um of the two archaeologists. He's a young child in the previous film and he's older in this one. Uh and then John Hannah plays the uh the brother-in-law.
0: So yeah, this is the third mummy film of um the the third of, the, of that trilogy. But interestingly enough, they're there, there's kind of been, like, this whole direct-to-VHS, direct-to-DVD um, spinoff series, too, because as some of our listeners might know, there's the uh, the Scorpion King uh, prequels, and I think there are three of those, too. And, um, yeah, that's correct. There was, car- there was a cartoon series as well. Oh, based my God. On, I forgot about that. Yeah, based on the, the O'Connell uh, family. Um, and as you said before, there's a reboot now, which is obviously going nowhere. But, yeah, th- this is, like, a strangely expansive um, pulp action series and it has a lot... I guess it kind of like fades in and out of like sword and sandal uh, fantasy as well. Yeah, strangely very uh, filled out universe, I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one that I wish kept going, actually. I think you touch on the sword and sandal genre, which was very popular basically like fifties through seventies, both in United States and a lot of European countries. Uh the Italians made a lot of Sword and Sandals films. Uh Sergio Leone's first film was actually a Sword and Sandal film.
0: How would you define Sword and Sandal actually? I cause I have like a rough kind of estimate, but how how just like give a brief uh definition.
1: Well, uh if I'm gonna be uh very literal, it's uh, okay. a movie where there's swords what's a, sword? what's a sand <laughs> and sandals uh but no it's usually set in a historical uh like an ancient historical uh, time period um mm-hmm. there's the swashbuckling which is obviously the swords and then sandals is the costumes yada yada right. but it's right. uh yeah it's it's like Jason and the Argonauts Conan Conan Definitely. Sometimes it's fantasy, as with both of those, and sometimes mm. it's more historical. Um, like Ben Ben Hur kind of thing. Ben Hur is a perfect example. Um, like I said, Sergio Leone's first film, The Colossus of Rhodes. Um, Interesting, I didn't know that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's more of a historical one. The Colossus of Rhodes is doesn't come to life or anything. It's Literally just the Colossus <laughs> of Rhodes standing there in the harbor. Nice. But yeah, so it's it's a dead genre basically. This could have kept it alive, but uh, folks, yeah. this movie sucks. So it <laughs> didn't. It's,
0: it's, this movie does suck, and um, that's kind of sad because I, I do have a soft spot for the first two. Um, Brendan Fraser is pretty great. I think he, he's he's commonly referred to as like the poor man's Harrison Ford. <laughs> um, but here at here at ProCon, we prefer the term the proletariat's Harrison Ford (laughs) Um, (laughs) fucking yes. But he's, he's like a charming actor. He's good. And, um, Rachel Weiss, they have great chemistry. And as a kid, I loved Egyptian shit and like running around shooting zombies and shooting mummies. And, um, and, like, Plunder and Treasure, like, they're they're very what you see is what you get. And they were pretty pretty fun movies, but this one does not live up to that legacy.
1: No, unfortunately, it does not. And, you know, it's not just us saying that. It's um, critics of and the everyone's. time and really, yeah, just literally everyone. I don't think anything really saw this film. It didn't really do that well in the box office, even with um, the pull of Jet Li, Michelle Yeoh, Isabella Leong, and Anthony Wong. It really just didn't pull... Uh, a lot
0: came out in 2008 right yes
1: it is 2008 okay. uh directed by rob cohen uh who did the first uh fast and furious film he also did dragon heart uh for all you sean connery heads oh, out there
0: nice so he's got a real dragon thing going
1: <laughs> yeah there's actually and he did the bruce lee story and that was called like the dragon or something so he yeah, had three tale movies of the with the title dragon
0: i actually and that's kind of kind of surprising because um that bruce lee story movie it it kind of has a made-for-TV feel, but it, it's a pretty—it's a pretty—I think it's pretty solid. I think—I it I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but I thought it was decent when I first saw it.
1: Yeah, uh, Rob Cohen can direct sometimes, uh, not this time around, unfortunately.
0: That's—that's <laughs> that's for sure.
1: So I found a review by Mark Jenkins of NPR that I really uh, think encapsulates all the problems uh, with this film. Uh, Mark Jenkins writes: Director Rob Cohen gives the battle scenes the now customary ADD treatment jiggling the camera and cutting frantically so that everything becomes a frenzied blur. With so many characters, the story is almost as indistinct. The banter is swallowed by the general clamor, and the Anglo actors often seem like bystanders in a remake of one of the many Chinese-language films about the Xin Emperor made since the 1974 discovery of his terracotta bodyguards. That's not such a bad thing, since Yo Wong, and Liang are more engaging than Fraser and his cohorts. Jet Li makes less of an impression because he he's frequently obscured by special effects guises.
0: Yeah, that's actually um, one of the most surprising things about this movie because I, I, re- I remember from the marketing, they really hyped up Jet Li's appearance. He's honestly on screen, unobscured for, I would say, less than 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, which is disappointing because he's, he's one of the best parts of this movie, <laughs> one of the few best parts of this movie. But yeah, for for the most part, he's literally like leaking shit <laughs> over himself. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Like his terracotta bodyguards that Mark Jenkins mentioned, he is also ensconced in terracotta clay throughout most of the film. It's even really when they poop. It's <laughs> it is is in fact kaka.
0: Uh, kaka, <laughs> hey, good, good banter on the street, on the on the podcast today.
1: <laughs> the reasoning behind this notion of you know covering up one of the greatest chinese actors of all time in uh CGI terracotta poop uh is <coughs> is because he had a scheduling conflict apparently so he's really just kind of he kind of bookends yeah. the film yeah. he's in yeah. the in the prologue uh which takes place in ancient china and then he's uh in the the end of the film once he becomes totally reanimated and becomes immortal again i'm there's a lot of stuff in between that we might mention, but also it's just it's nonsense.
0: So, yeah, um, as you were saying, Jet Li, he, he does book bookend the film. Um, the film begins in ancient China where Michelle Yeoh is uh, a witch and she is the one who gives Jet Li the the secret to, um, to immortality. And of course, he betrays her, but they're both immortal. So they both persist into the present day where uh, Alex, the O'Connell's son, Who's doing his own Indiana Jones, uh, low rent Indiana Jones type thing? God, I hate that guy so much. I hate that character so much. We'll get into it, but the actor, the, the worst, yeah, so bad. He finds, he digs up uh, the Dragon Emperor, and of course, all hell breaks loose, and the, the mummy escapes, and he has to call in his parents, uh, Rick and Evie, and and their their brother and his uncle uh, Jonathan, who's like the comic relief. Uh, they have to go and uh, stop the dragon emperor and along the way they meet uh this this like uh, ninja girl who Alex has this really forced and and really uninspired and tepid romance with um and it turns out that she is Michelle Yo's daughter so she's like this, this lineage of warriors who are trying to keep back the, the, mummy, uh, the mummy's power. But the, um, the Dragon Emperor does, of course, regain his power. And he raises his armies, his army, his terracotta army from the dead. And he's about to take over the world. But the heroes muddle their way through. Um, they actually get their own uh, undead army, which is kind of cool. We can touch on that. We can touch on that a little, a little bit later. Yeah, we, we, we do get some good mummies versus evil mummy action later on
1: yeah um so i think that was a very succinct plot synopsis right there um much more succinct than the actual diegetic film tells it um <laughs> yes. because it is we are yes. unfortunately not going to highlight the screenwriters of this film later on the podcast uh, <laughs> no. it's just not not you're not the workers no. of note this time sorry guys
0: No, the workers of note would be the actual workers who built the Great Wall of China.
1: Yeah, that's true. And we'll talk (laughs) about that later as well. That actually comes back. But yeah, so Nick and I actually watched this film together. Usually we watch this film, (laughs) our film separately. Um, But I have a Netflix subscription. This just went to Netflix. Actually, all three of them did. So if you do want to binge the series, you can do that. Or if you want to boycott Netflix because, I don't know, they're probably terrible. Yeah. Do that I mean, as well.
0: Watch the first two uh, pirated. Don't watch the third one. <laughs> don't <laughs> want to watch any of them on Netflix. Skip
1: the third one entirely. There's, there's really uh, no reason besides, uh, I don't know, uh, the things we'll get to later, I guess.
0: Well, I mean, we can get to them now. We can get to the little moments and aspects that we did like, um, few and far between as they were. To start off with, I guess we kind of already touched on this, but um, Jet Li and Michelle Yeoh, uh, they're both great. They're both great actors. They're both great performers. They're both great at stunts, I think. Like I, like we had alluded to earlier, one of the reasons that we were most excited for this one in particular was because the marketing pushed Jet Li, Jet Li, Jet Li. He's the dragon emperor mummy. And even though he wasn't really in many of the scenes when he was, he, he just like commanded everything around him, I think.
1: Yeah, it was just unfortunate because, you know, Hero had already come out by now, Um, Obviously, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, so many of these wuxia films, you know, this real rich Chinese tradition of martial arts cinema that was just entirely squandered here
0: yeah, you, you, you literally have the Nameless Hero and Xu Yan from Crush from and Tiger and like both of those movies were recent at the time too. Um and they're facing off and it, and it, the fight is just so bland.
1: To touch back on what Mark Jenkins of NPR said, like it really is um kind of the it was the Hollywood du jour way of filming mm. action scenes at the time. Um, yeah. Kind of like this bastardization of what uh, the Bourne movies started doing with um, with Paul Greengrass's uh, style of filmmaking, but it was really poorly copied by everybody else, and it we we have what we have now, basically. Um, it hasn't stopped. We see it a little bit. Um, done with maybe some some flair in like the Captain America films, uh, specifically Winter Soldier, but it, it's a little better there. It's not perfect.
0: I haven't. I haven't actually seen any of the Bourne films, so I'm. I'm trying to think of an example of of shaky, like noticeable shaky cam used in a fight scene where it's effective, and I. I really can't think of one. I know. Um, I know right around this time, 2008, when the Dragon Emperor came, or Mummy Three came out. Um, that was that was like one of the go-to jokes online. You know, like oh, did the fight scenes have lots of shaky cam in it? Right. Yeah, like it, it's it's noticeable, and even even a film. Uh, Philistine, like myself, uh, picked up on that at that early age.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's um, it's hard not to notice. You know, there's a lot of people who have a hard time watching that style of filmmaking. Like, yeah. kind of, uh, it gives them, like, vertigo or something. It happens. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a lot of what people even remember coming out of the theater of, like, Blair Witch were saying, you know, found footage genre was coming out. People are like, oh, I can't watch that. And just
0: to um, circle this back into The Mummy 3, um, you had mentioned that people <laughs> people would get sick um, from vertigo when they watch these movies. And that's one of the things that we really liked, really liked about The Mummy 3 because there is a yak who yaks in The Mummy 3. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it is one of the best, if maybe the only good like one-liners in this film, said by the character of Jonathan. What is it, Jonathan Cran Cranhan or something?
0: Jonathan Jonathan Jar Jar Binks. Funny, funny uncle, funny uncle character.
1: <laughs> yeah, funny uncle character. They're in a plane with a yak. Yeah, I'm, we're not going to explain that. Sorry. Uh, and the yak uh, yaks all over them. It throws up um, or sneezes. I really, I couldn't tell. It was, it was, it looked more mucusy than throw up. Honestly,
0: I mean, it, it did it into like a throw up bag in the in the airplane. So like, oh my knows? god, but... that's right. Yeah, that's right.
1: It's... This is like before even like commercial airlines. Honestly, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Th- doesn't matter obviously i mean the yetis uh, they there's yetis in this film and they do like the the field goal uh (laughs) hand signal so i or
0: <laughs> who knows who cares? It's, it's the best line in the film and yeah that's actually when they're on their way so one one of like the the side quests they have to do is they they try to prevent the dragon emperor from going to this holy site to regain his his spell casting powers <clears throat> the dragon emperor has like a cohort of chinese soldiers that he convinced to join him the heroes are being overwhelmed and um the the ninja girlfriend of alex like whistles or like calls to the to the mountain And then three Yetis (laughs) run down (laughs) and they start fighting the soldiers. And um, as, as Lewis said, they do, um, they do punt one soldier through like two, two posts or something. And then the other, the other uh, Yetis throw up their hands in the field goal sign. It's pretty great.
1: Yeah. So that is definitely one thing uh, we enjoyed about this film. Not the only thing, (laughs) however. Um, Um, The, what else, what else do we have? So Nick mentioned like the the Chinese kind of like red army soldiers who who team up with mm-hmm. uh, the dragon emperor and they're really strange there's they they never are really given any motivation or reasoning except like there there may be like these like red army like separatists who worship the dragon yeah. emperor um they're very like nazi coded like they 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 have like very much nazi garb um mm-hmm. the two officers they wear like this standard nazi officer cap but instead of like a, a eagle insignia it's like the three-headed dragon that jet Li <clears throat> turns into at one point and then like the grunt soldiers have like these armbands that look like the swastika armband except there's right, like a, right. a chinese character in the white circle but yeah really i i, I can't tell you why they want to unleash the dragon emperor
0: it's kind of like standard like pulp fiction bad guy loyalty i guess right it's like oh i'm um... I'm so loyal to my homeland and like I we can be great and glorious again it's just paper thin and it's like standard henchman motivation I guess
1: yeah I think that's accurate um I just I wished there was more communism I guess
0: (laughs) yeah they they should have been Maoists they should have been They, they should have like actually been carrying the red little red book and they should have um they should have mentioned that in the film that would have flown.
1: Yeah. And they should have uh, like wanted to resurrect the dragon emperor to then like kill him forever because they're anti like monarchy. Mm. That'd been cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: like where we want to resurrect the monarchy and then kill it again just because like as a show of strength to the, to the West, that'd be cool.
1: Yeah. That would be amazing. And we will write the script one day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, we could do a re- we could do a reboot. The mummy three reboot um what else did we like about this piece of garbage um oh we didn't really touch upon this um i guess as good a time as any to mention this um we hated uh the alex character and the uh, the guy who played uh, the guy who played him what's his name
1: uh luke ford
0: luke ford luke ford is uh, not... no
1: relation to harrison ford actually
0: yeah or luke skywalker um <sighs> but... <laughs> but uh yeah he he is not a good actor, and he's not—he's not a good character. And he—he's—he they, they try to—they tried to write him as like, oh, I'm this bumbling oaf, and I, I'm just like this smiling like scoundrel, and I'm gonna fall in love with a woman and all that stuff. No, he's a—he's a fail son. Um, he's, another <laughs> another fail son. <laughs> another fail son. in One of these goddamn movies that we have to watch. He talks to his parents about his sex life in a really cringeworthy. Yeah, two
1: scene. separate scenes of that two separate scenes of him talking to his mother first (laughs) and then his father separately about fucking
0: bear in mind this is one of the good aspects of the movie that we really (laughs) enjoy his mom his mom at one point was like oh alex like oh i've missed you so much and i haven't seen you and blah 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 Uh, he's like what were you doing with that woman like they, they meet in a bar right and she's like what were you doing with that woman in that back room He's like, oh, well, mom, I've got lots of experience in that regard. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just so bad. And I don't know, at least it was effective in making me feel embarrassed for somebody else.
1: Yeah. Or you know what? To put a positive spin on this, because that's what our podcast is all about, it actually is an example of a positive uh, relationship between parents and children in terms of uh talking about (laughs) sex and and sexual relations uh because it's never uh no actually it is supposed to be embarrassing and awkward for them yeah yeah it's actually not very positive but that that was my attempt
0: yeah it's 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 not it's not woke it's not like a woke positive parent child relationship but it is unintentionally hilarious which is why it's on the list right now
1: yeah. Um I want to say it's Freudian or Oedipal, but I don't even think it's that.
0: I mean there there are kind of there is kind of like a Freudian undercurrent, right? Like Alex kind of likes his mom, but he he really doesn't get along with his dad and like he sees himself turning into his dad and his dad like just wants to get closer to him. I don't know. It's it, it, it's it's really it's hack, it's hack material.
1: Yeah, it's hack material, definitely, and yeah, whatever like Freudian undertones, uh, that might be there. It's it's a real stretch. There's like weird stuff too with Isabella Leung's character, the Ninja Girl, and like her dad and her mm. mom and the Dragon Emperor.
0: Yeah, I guess we should mention the in the opening prologue, Michelle Yeoh's witch character had fallen in love with uh the Dragon Emperor's um his general, General Ming, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, and they were having an affair, and the the Dragon Emperor was jealous, and he's like, "Oh, you must love me, you must love me." And then he had the he had the general killed. Fast forward a few thousand years, we find out that Michelle Yeoh's daughter was is also the daughter of General Ming. Michelle Yeoh and and her daughter. What's the, what's the daughter's character's name?
1: I have, I have no idea. You might want to look that one up. Yeah, I'll look
0: that one. I'll look it up. But yeah, they're they're immortal basically. And at the end, of course, the daughter gives up her immortality to be with Alex, which is a bad choice. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I would um if I was given up mortality and then uh I had to give it away for some reason I would be a little more choosy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not to Luke Ford, come on, not
1: to Luke Ford, even the real person, Luke Uh, Ford.
0: Lynn is um is Isabella Young's character, Lynn. um... Yes. That's right. Who makes the horrible choice, the horrible, awful choice to to give up uh, living forever to be with um, to be with Luke Ford?
1: Yeah, their their relationship is is so strange because it's not even like telegraphed so much as um, no, like no, no, it's no. just be- it's, you just get beaten over the head with it immediately because they meet and then his mom Evie, played by Maria Bello, is just like you like her. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. You've I seen mean, these people together for two seconds.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess you could be charitable and say she's just an overprotective sheltered, trying to shelter her, her kid like she used to. I don't know. It's, there's no justifying it.
1: <laughs> there's no justifying anything that ever happens in this movie, except the end credits. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. What Lewis wanted to do for workers of note um, was to put the person who arranged the end credits, but that, that would have been a cop out. <laughs> yeah.
1: We can't just cop out, I guess. We have to actually highlight somebody.
0: We're anti-cop here in Procon. Hell
1: fucking yeah.
0: Okay, so another thing that that I actually did appreciate about this movie was um, the way it treated and presented mythical creatures and magic in general. At one point, the Dragon Emperor, he he can turn into creatures of myth. Um, He turns into a dragon, he turns into a three-headed dragon, and it's an actual dragon, which was really nice because so often in 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 modern um, fantasy, uh, dragons are presented with um, four limbs. They're presented with two legs and two wings. The wings also act as kind of front limbs. Um, that is not a dragon. That is a wyvern. And, um, <laughs> and yeah,
1: looking at you, Guillermo del Toro. Exactly. Who. Originally was gonna direct the Hobbit films and did a lot of the design for Smaug.
0: Yeah, because uh, they they changed Smaug. And he he's a wyvern. He's not a dragon. Um, because Tolkien makes it very clear. I'm not gonna get into Tolkien nerd mode right now, but I will say the proper dragon, as defined as a six limbed creature, four legs, two wings. It this is just like a nerdy design kind of like quibble, but I think it makes more sense for a dragon to have six limb ling- six limbs because it makes it more alien. It makes it more monstrous and um, not not many familiar creatures to humans have six limbs like that. And it's a small thing and it's a subtle thing. But um, if you're going to make your dragon more realistic, you're kind of like barking up the wrong tree from the get go, I think. So just give your dragons four limbs, four limbs and two wings. Just make them dragons.
1: Yeah, and that's you know it's actually interesting you said um, the the realism thing there because that is what Guillermo del Toro was going off of when he designed Smaug. He said Damn. there are no animals in the animal kingdom that have four legs and and two wings, so he was yeah. like, "Oh, I want to make it look like a bat," you know, um, which bats obviously have their flaps under their their mm-hmm. their front uh, arms basically. Um, but I agree it's it's fantasy. it's not reality. Uh, get over yourself
0: <laughs> I, th- I think that that six six limb versus four limb thing I think that did stick in my head just from like reading interviews, pre-production on the Hobbit. but as everyone knows, smug should be most similar to a cat and not a bat that that's just really stupid.
1: Yeah, definitely. We only respect the Rankin and bass uh, yes. Hobbit film yes. and the soundtrack uh, if you make. A Hobbit film that's not a musical, uh, we don't truck with you.
0: Exactly, exactly. Half half that goddamn movie, sh- half those goddamn movies should have been singing. But to um, so get back to the Mummy Three. Again. Oh yeah,
1: this is not uh, the Hobbit uh, trilogy yeah. episode. Oh, oh shit.
0: That one might be in a tank, folks. That one might be coming down the river on a barrel, as they say. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, Jet Li can change into beasts. He he changes he changes into a three headed dragon, which is dope. He changes into a. An Imperial Chinese lion was that what it was
1: uh yeah, that's correct,
0: and of course, other mythological creatures um, featured very prominently at the end are the the terracotta warriors, um, which are based in reality, but they' they're obviously not battle droids um, but what's cool and um, kind of a pet peeve I have of Hollywood trends when it comes to fantasy and magic is uh whenever a Hollywood movie is made about eastern fantasy or eastern myth like like any kind of asian flavored um fantasy or magic it, it's it's basically like knockoff buddhism or or daoism right like it's it's very mystical um it's orientalist ranges the gamut from mildly to extremely racist it's this kind of like woo woo intangible stuff um but one thing this movie did well that i appreciated was it presented the fantasy and the in the in the magic in a much more concrete manner something more in the in the vein of like jason the argonauts not to say that this movie doesn't dip into like racialized or orientalized tropes and everything which it does of course but um at least the presentation was a little bit more unique than the standard like mystical invisible uh magic of the orient type thing it was more um it was more flesh and blood than that i guess yeah
1: um the cgi was terrible but it was really <laughs> <Yeah>. cool <laughs> To see him, uh, to see Jet Li turn into the three-headed dragon and then the imperial Chinese, um, lion, uh, lion dog as well. Like that was actually that happens. He turns into the imperial Chinese lion dog, uh, during the fight scene at the end, and I, I, I didn't know that was happening, and I was like, oh shit, oh shit. (laughs) I was so excited about it. He just runs. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. He he barely fights as that creature. He just like he uses it to run. And it was like, wow, that's a really cool way of just showing shape shifting and just like Yeah, it was I was impressed by that. Uh again, the CGI was awful and I actually could barely uh tell you what it was supposed to be. I did some digging and someone on the internet was like, Oh, I think it's supposed to be an Imperial lion should, dog.
0: Should we reveal our um the deep throat of this episode, or our source? <laughs>
1: Yes. Uh you you should take the honors there. You, okay. you were the one who found that one. Yeah,
0: so I I found Wikipedia, which is <laughs> which is not the Rick and Morty Wikipedia. It is um it is, it is named after Rick O'Connell, the protagonist of all all the mummy movies. It, it's it's this specific <laughs> wikis that are like devoted to specific fandoms are really fucking strange. Um, and this one is no exception. <laughs> um so I, I, I waste a lot of time online and, um, different, different fandoms wikis are are, ver- are like have their own kind of like foibles and, and personalities. The distinctive character, like character of Wikipedia is that, um, it does these really detailed and, um, in really intricate plot descriptions of like the movies, but they end halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was showing Lewis, like, um, the, the plot description on Wikipedia to The Mummy 2, it goes into, in, in, like, really fetishistic detail of, like, oh, Rick puts on his, his like, leather, his leather arm strap, and then he puts on this shirt, and he picks up these guns, taking making sure that he loads them before giving one to, like, Jonathan. But it literally, like, it, it cuts off, like, two-thirds of the way through the movie. Just, it, it, it doesn't resolve, the, the plot summary doesn't resolve, despite, like having this intense amount of care.
1: Well, you know, in the climax of all these films, I think they focus less on Rick, on Brendan Fraser. So mm. why keep going? Why tell a part of the story that's not, you know, crystalline <laughs> focused on on Rick O'Connell?
0: Maybe this isn't the mummy wiki. This is the Rick O'Connell wiki. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> there, there's another, like, emphotepedia or something, like, floating around out there.
1: Oh, my God. If there isn't uh one of our many many listeners should should make imhotepedia please
0: yeah get on that oh my god so yeah um i guess one one other notable thing this is the last big thing that i really liked about this movie um and it's not really a big thing this is kind of a stretch but um it is leftist it's a leftist stretch the, the big battle at the end with the terracotta army um, they do fight off against the good mummies who are led by General Ming and his mummy army is made up of the workers that built the Great wall. It means nothing but you literally you literally do you literally do have the proletariat the proletariat rising up against the Imperials, which is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's it's a fine battle sequence. Um, there's a, there's a lot going on within the battle sequence. There's these proletarian mummies versus these Imperial terracotta golems, basically. There's Jet Li, the dragon emperor, uh, shapeshifting into the Imperial lion. At, at one point, I think he is the dragon in that scene as well. You have all the the Anglo actors shooting and doing things. There's like a, at one point, Jonathan, the Jar Jar Binks uncle, uh, swoops in playing and he uses a, some kind of machine gun to mow down.
0: No, no, he he drops a bomb Oh, by hand. That's by right, hands. That's right. Hands.
1: <laughs> he does drop a bomb and he kills the Separatist Red Army uh, officers.
0: No, actually, well, actually, he... He disables their vehicle and, and destroys most of the soldiers, but the officers, they fight Evie and Lynn inside the Great Wall and they get squished by a giant gear.
1: Oh shit, that's right. I remember when we were watching it, I was like, that was an unceremonious end yeah, exactly. to them. Yeah. Like They just get a bomb dropped on them, but then that's right. They have a little bit of a fight scene, which could have been a really cool fight scene mm-hmm. within the the kind of like weird mechanisms within the great wall. I have no idea what they even did those mechanisms, but um, shafts and gears, and it could have been a great fight scene if it was directed by like Ang Lee or uh, an actually talented director or us. or us really anybody who's seen like three wuxia films could do a better job uh they yeah they get crushed at one point like they get kicked into these gears and you just you just hear crunching and that's they're they're done
0: i guess we could make this episode a little educational too um how would you define wuxia for our audience
1: it's a chinese uh genre of story that goes back to I mean, centuries. Basically, mm-hmm. it's not just what we typically think in in the film world is, uh, *Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon*. The jumping around, the flying, the sword play, some magic, but the stories themselves go back decades, generations, um, and, and they focus more on like ancient Chinese magic, I believe, in the stories. The classic uh, cinema sense is is the more ballet-type sword choreography, very acrobatic scenes.
0: Yeah, like you were saying, Crash and Tiger, another good example is Hero, and th- th- those are the two examples that we mentioned at the start of this episode, Michelle Yeoh and Jet Li, respectively. I guess another one that was kind of contemporaneous with this was House of Flying Daggers, but
1: yeah. No. Definitely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Just real, real high flying uh, wire work is very prominent. Um, I guess if you want to be a little poetic about it, like communicating emotion and tone through through fighting and action is is a big uh, hallmark of it. But uh, the Mummy Three hit none of that because the fight scene sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, usually with the fight scenes, not only do um, they serve as this. This great visual flair throughout the film, throughout Wuxia films, but they also serve the plot. Uh, serve as nick said these character beats uh, via emotions and such but i yeah i can't tell you what happened in most of the fight scenes in in the mummy three nor how they advance the plot besides they get you from point a to point b then point c to d
0: right I, the only one that that's even really memorable in my mind like like a, a fight not like a huge not not the huge big battle um between the Mummy is cuz that was memorable at least. The only the only one-on-one fight that stands out is when um, Brennan Fraser and Jet Li throw down at the end of the movie. There are some wuxia elements um, I think at one point or, or when it starts Jet Li leaps down from like this balcony and he he does like a wire flip and he kind of spins in the air. Um, right. But it I mean this is I feel bad cuz we're we're really ragging on this movie right now but um yeah it, it's just not shot well and like you you have literally One of the best martial artists in Hollywood, like martial artist actors, actors in Hollywood, doing it, doing a fight scene and you shoot it like shit. And it's it's boring to watch.
1: It's interesting because, you know, Jet Li, it's not even like he stopped doing Hollywood films after this. He'd done a ton. I mean, he's, he's in all the Expendables films um, I think um, Danny the Dog is after this one, which, you ever see that one? No, uh, Danny the Dog, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, a French director, did it. Uh, uh, Louis Letier, gently plays a character named Danny, who's like a pit fighter, basically. Mm, okay. And uh, he's like feral because of that. And then oh I gosh. think Morgan Freeman's character like teaches him how to be human again <gasps> oh, or something. I yeah. think
0: I do. This is yeah. like vaguely familiar.
1: Yeah, e- I mean, even that film... Yeah. uh does the fight scenes better I, wow. I can't speak to the expendables but i bet they all do the fight scenes better than this fucking movie at least
0: like at least they must have more energy or like 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 life to them than the fight scenes here these are just yeah but yeah and yeah like like we were saying earlier for jet lee isn't even in most of this movie and um when he is in his terracotta form he's not really fighting he's like shooting he he has elemental control that the five classical uh chinese elements um water fire earth uh wood and metal he he just he just he just like shooting fire out of his hands and stuff and it, it's really i, w- I was going to say it's really boring but he they have some interesting applications like i remember at one point in the chase scene through through downtown um hong kong or or wherever it is
1: i think it's hong kong or singapore i don't Remember, exactly.
0: He shoots ice, not at the car chasing him, but he shoots it on the road so that the car slides. I I can always appreciate, like, a, a creative non-direct use of magic like that but very 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 few and far between
1: yeah i i would say the the most interesting applications of his uh, elemental powers are probably in that chase scene actually because he he uses his fire power to uh ignite the fireworks and he uses mm, yeah, his yeah, control yeah. over wood to move something i don't remember but i remember when we were watching it you were like that's neat
0: you know i think he does he so rick and evie and all the heroes are chasing his vehicle in a fireworks truck, and he uses his control over wood to open up the box of fireworks, I think.
1: Yeah, that's right. And then he lights it on yeah, fire.
0: Yeah, he lights him, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah.
1: Um, so I guess we do remember a little bit more about these scenes uh, than we let on, folks, <laughs> but they're still very <laughs> having, uninteresting. And we're having
0: to work for it pretty damn hard.
1: So I think that's about it in terms of what we liked about this film. Oh, there, there's one thing that I. Let's say I liked. I don't know. I mean, uh, liked in quotation marks. I thought I should like it um, at first, and then I realized today that it's it's stupid and manipulative.
0: <laughs> um,
1: there's a character called Mad Dog Maguire. Yes. Um, Mad Dog Madis
0: Maguire. A former Secretary of Defense. <laughs>
1: He's introduced during the there's a there's a club scene very much like the the club scene from uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. Do you know what
0: that uh, do you know what that club is called in Temple of Doom? Uh
1: well that one's like the Qui Gon, right? No, no, it's Obi-Wan. the yeah. Obi Wan. The Obi one. I don't know what it's called. in Oh, this movie—it's Imhotep. It's, it's, yeah, because it's, <laughs> it's called Imhotep. Yeah, because like one of the only references to Imhotep at all—it maybe two or three references. Yeah, in Uncle, this film Uncle Jar
0: Jar um, struck struck rich in the end in the ending of Number Two, and so he moved to Shanghai and bought a nightclub and he calls it Imhotep's.
1: Yeah, so the O'Connell family meets this guy who I really—I had no idea who this character was, and at first he's like trying to beat up their son Alex because their son Alex like was hitting on his his girl. And he's a fail son. Uh, and and he's and just like who yeah, exactly. Who wouldn't want to beat him up? He's a fail son. <laughs> um but then Rick Brendan Frazier is like Mad Dog, oh my God, <laughs> I haven't dog. seen you since the war. Oh, we're best friends. Yeah. And I just honestly, I was like, I haven't seen number one and number two in a while. I was like, this is probably a character who's in every single film. Did no research on that until today. And I realized uh, this character does not appear in any of the films. They just made up this relationship. Really just a sentence, that sentence right there. I haven't seen you since the war. They, they kind of explain away their wartime involvement in that one in that one sentence.
0: He's so forgettable. That his Wikipedia article is blank. Oh, oh shit!
1: Fuck you, Mad Dog
0: Mattis McGuire. The truth comes out. Damn. Oh no! I'm sorry. Here it is. McGuire was Rick O'Connell's old French Foreign Legion comrade from Rick's. Pa- That's not redundant. <laughs> he, they, they knew each other in the in the French Foreign Legion. Apparently.
1: Whatever. Wait, were they in the French Foreign Legion? Yeah. How does that make any sense?
0: Rick is in the French Foreign Legion at the start of the Mummy One. Oh shit! That's right. That's how I meet him.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then they're both in the French Foreign Legion during World War Two. Well, to,
0: it, no, they they used to be together, and they 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 were comrades back in the day. Oh, okay. It's it's a it's a it's a classic retcon. You see what you have here is a classic retcon in your in your third <laughs> entry. <laughs>
1: this this film is very elaborate, very
0: expensive fan fiction. <laughs> so yeah, um. That's the mummy three, and that's what we liked about it, which wasn't a lot, but as usual, we do appreciate some workers um, whose names we could dig up that we thought were, were notable um, and to start us off here, uh, we have Louisa Jaslow, who Lewis put on this list because uh, she did they they did research and clearances, um, and I don't know what that means, and I don't know why they're on this list right now. so Lewis, could you elaborate
1: um... No. <laughs> well, I was thinking if you're doing a film about ancient China, you have to have uh, some kind of technical consultants. And right. I was thinking right. back to our uh, Regarding Henry episode where you know technical consulting right. is really necessary for a film like that, talking about health, uh, physical therapy. Um, so I tried to go through the imdb page to mm. find something specific like you know uh, historian uh, something right. like that and this was literally the only person i could find that had a title anywhere close to that
0: no that's that's i fair. don't know what
1: clearances means <laughs> i can't tell you i thought it was like maybe clearances for artifacts like I have going the- to like i have a theory, what's your theory?
0: May, may i posit a theory <laughs> <laughs> yes i'll allow it well yeah i i think that's that's legit because you, you were on the right track with the artifacts and everything and the um because a big part of this movie deals with the terracotta warriors and an actual emperor from from real history um so yeah like you were saying something to deal with the, the artifacts but also clearances maybe if there are a few scenes that are shot in like a museum i don't know if they needed to needed to have a go between um between the studio and the the Chinese government um or or the like the any kind of like council Chinese council yeah. that cares about like historical artifacts or tries to preserve them or whatever
1: Yeah it's possible because I know I mean the film was shot in China uh Rob yeah. Cohen wanted them to shoot in China as much as they could mm-hmm. um so I think that makes sense I think it does have something to do uh with museums, with uh artifacts, uh or you know what, who the fuck knows? Maybe she's just like a military clearance person. I have no idea, you know. Uh they use like some military vehicles and, and shit in this movie. Uh, I don't think they have the usual military consultant, but who the fuck knows?
0: And what's really important is everything that we just hypothesized, um, conveniently enough are things that we either liked or didn't mind too much about the Mummy three, so we're good either way.
1: <laughs> um, the next worker of note we have is Sonya Milkovich Hayes uh, who did costume design it's really your standard period piece late 40s costume design the chinese costumes are interesting as well but you know what they're better than the fucking set design so we put this person here
0: yeah yeah because one one thing i know that i as a film philistine myself um one thing that i always latch on to is good solid um set design or prop design or costume design and set design was severely lacking in a goddamn mummy movie which doesn't make sense but um in comparison the, the costumes looked pretty good i thought so um, also next on the list, um, these two should be obvious, but we have Jet Li and Michelle Yeoh. They're two great actors. They're two great expressive and physical actors, and they deserved a better script than this. And that's that's that about sums it up. <laughs> yeah.
1: And last on the list, this is a surprise. This is someone who's actually not in this film. Um, it's uh, Rachel Vise yes. for opting out uh, entirely. <laughs> For for reading the script and saying fuck no, and that's
0: literally what happened. We we found this yeah. on IMDb. um Rob, Rob Cohen had some ridiculous like sexist excuse. He was like, she didn't want to play a character who had a son in his twenties, like implying yeah. implying mm-hmm. that she was afraid of playing an older woman character. And Rachel Vice was like, no, I read the script and it sucked, and I was all in. Like I was pregnant at the time but i also appeared in two other movies that year i don't know what they are but um she she had receipts and like so fuck you rob (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) fuck you rob cohen you're uninteresting so nick who would you recommend this film to
0: no one see we can't we can't keep doing that joke because we do it every episode but it's always freaking applicable but um for, for real well not for justice league not for justice league, yeah.
1: or or for rhinestone or, or for
0: venom yeah so okay. or for venom so, so the joke has like three out of seven yeah three out of seven ain't bad um who would i recommend this movie to i guess um first and most obvious are f- fans of the of the mummy franchise of the mummy series um Wikipedia editors and, and contributors um people who care <laughs> <laughs> P- people who have seen the first two or hell the cartoon series or even the the scorpion um Sc- scorpion king movies who just want or see
1: even people who like all the old school universal mummy films there's a few there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if you're just into mummies for some reason, <laughs> granted this is a different type of mummy. this is a Chinese mummy, but yeah. I don't know if you're if you're into mummies, this is what you got. There's not a lot of mummy output in terms of Hollywood studios anymore
0: yeah that um Roberto Orsi has really uh, put the bullet in the head of that of that um, shambling creature attempting to rise again <laughs> but um. <laughs> But yeah, for people who do want to see the conclusion of the O'Connell saga, this is as good as you're going to get. And actually, interestingly enough, when we were researching, uh, when we were researching this episode, um, apparently there was supposed to be a fourth mummy movie. There, there is a little stinger at the end where where Uncle Jonathan Jar Jar um, is running away to Peru. I think he, Peru. Yeah. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. like, uh, no more, no more Egypt, no more China. I'm going somewhere. Where there's no mummies. Peru. And, of course, mummies have been found in Peru. It was going to be called, like, Rise of the Aztec or something. And Anton- yeah. Antonio Banderas was going to be the mummy in that one. He he, he was pitched, like, his name was thrown around as, as the mummy, which would have been, if they found a new director, that, like, a halfway competent journeyman director, that would have been fucking awesome. So, Lewis, who would you recommend this film to? Um,
1: I would recommend this film to uh, fans of old planes.
0: Okay. Hear me out here. <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, If you're a fan of old fighter planes, there are three of them in this film. Mm. And speaking of something that we've spoke maybe too much about in this episode, weird esoteric Wikipedias, uh, (laughs) I found one called Internet Movie Plane Database. Nice,
0: nice, nice. I like it.
1: And that's how I know that there are three separate Aircrafts because they all look the same to me, but there are three separate aircraft. Yes, uh, there's the Bristol 156 Bowfighter, uh, there's the Fairchild C 119 Flying Boxcar, and there's the Curtis P 40E Warhawk.
0: Well, those sound pretty badass and cool, but I don't remember any of them from this movie. <laughs> but I mean, they they looked they looked real i don't know like did, did the did the wiki did the wiki say that these were actually flying like while, while the camera was rolling
1: oh i i didn't actually read the Wikipedias. i just <laughs> saw that there were the, these three names yeah. and i took them and i put them in our notes but i have no idea if they actually uh, used um some kind of like actual plane or <laughs> if they i yeah i have no idea if they actually even made up like a, a mock plane i imagine they all look cgi to me so yeah so, uh, there's inspired maybe even inspired by these planes
0: i have no idea that's what i was gonna say i, I think these still count if it's like a faithful reproduction even through uh, special effects so whatever throw it throw it on the heap um
1: yeah um, and then my my next one actually is also another esoteric uh, <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> it's the Internet Movie Firearm Database. There are actually articles for all three of the Mummy films. Nice, nice. Uh, in Internet Movie Firearm Database, uh, the the interesting thing about this one is interesting in quotation marks is that this is uh, the most expansive. Uh, article of the three films in the franchise Mm. and i actually think it's uh, worth noting that this film has the most like shootouts in it really the other films are more of like the sword and sandal as we said previously
0: even when they shoot in the other ones they're like shooting like monsters that are chasing them that that don't shoot back right yeah like, like in this one like you were saying like the the red army and the heroes shoot each other
1: yeah it's constant yeah, I mean yeah. uh, once from once the Red Army uh, officers are introduced I mean most of the action scenes are some kind of shootout mm-hmm. um, there are 27 different types of firearms in this film Damn. various revolvers rifles, submachine guns, shotguns uh, bazookas mm-hmm. at one point in the scene in the Himalayans oh yeah uh, Brendan Brazier calls it up
0: he's like is that a bazooka? <laughs>
1: answer is yes it is yeah, yeah it was Brennan. but you know it like it kind of makes sense for the time period too it's like after world war ii these characters had some kind of involvement in the war effort they are fighting this weird red army separatist cell and also rob cohen kind of makes those types of films you know uh, yeah. fast and the furious doesn't have a ton of shootouts but there are shootouts in the first fast and the furious he made uh the first triple x movie Real?
0: that's great he has a weird yeah. he has a weird resume
1: he does uh his last film which came out last year uh hurricane heist oh my god that uh looked like a direct-to-video film but i actually saw a trailer for it in theaters
0: What wow. for what movie do you remember
1: uh probably like a marvel film yeah maybe maybe like avengers but yeah, uh Hurricane, Hurricane Heist. Heist. It's currently on Netflix as well.
0: We might have to add that to the to the list to the list after we're done with this episode. If it's not <laughs> if it's not already I on I think it's already on. Yeah, of course it's Actually. It.
1: Yeah, so um join us next week folks if uh if you are interested in hearing some more ramblings about uh another god awful movie. dog
0: shit movies that should never be that should never see the light of day again, just like the Mummy himself.
1: All right. Take care, folks.
0: See you next time. I saw the face of the mummy lost.